from the winter meetings, it's locked on MLB prospects. The Mariners make a trade. Jackson Churio signs a contract, and we find out who gets the number one pick. You are locked on MLB prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, award-winning baseball writer and podcaster. And thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're probably part of the Locked on Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And I want this to be your show. If you have show ideas, segment ideas, questions for a Monday mailbag, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked on Farm. There's tons of other ways you can get them to us. Email, Discord, subtext. It's all in the episode description. It's all in the show notes. So we are here in Nashville, Tennessee at the winter meetings. Uh, It is later in the day on Monday, and it has already been a very exciting 24 hours that we've been here. We found out last night the Seattle Mariners made a trade with the Atlanta Braves. Uh, Five total players involved in the trade. Today, Jackson Churio signed his contract with the Milwaukee Brewers. We sat in on the press conference. We'll tell you what they said about that. We'll tell you uh, what to expect next season in Milwaukee. and couple hours after this episode comes out, we'll have the MLB draft lottery. Who is trying to make sure they're in the top six? Who wouldn't mind not being in the top six this year and what it might mean? But let's start off with the trade. So this broke Sunday night. And full disclosure, I was asleep when this trade broke. Uh, my, My roommate here had to wake me up so I could do some work when the trade happened. But the Seattle Mariners and the Atlanta Braves made a trade. And leaving Seattle was outfielder Jared Kalinick, uh, pitcher Marco Gonzalez, and first baseman Evan White. And in return to Seattle was pitching prospect Cole Phillips and right-hand pitcher Jackson Kowar. So let's break this down. First, let's look at the Atlanta side because this is where the only true prospect in the entire move was, and that was Cole Phillips going over to the Seattle Mariners. So 2022 second rounder out of high school. And in some of the showcases and things like that before the draft, looked really good. Had a fastball that he could run up to 99 or 100. uh, Was ripping off a pretty mean slider to go along with it. And probably would have been a first round pick were it not for the fact that he tore his UCL and had to have Tommy John surgery in April of 2022. So Atlanta signs him in the second round and he never pitches in professional baseball for Atlanta, right? If you look at the timing of the trade or the timing of the injury and the surgery, it's something where we typically think 18 months is the return to play date for a pitcher off of Tommy John surgery. But technically it's usually described as 18 to 24. Now, Sources from close to Cole Phillips have told me that he is throwing. He is able, like he he has been. The velocity has come back. The slider has looked good, but out of an abundance of caution, making sure there was no lingering injury or lingering issues is why he didn't get into a game in 2023 in the minor. So the first game that he pitches in for Seattle in 2024 will be the first professional baseball game he has pitched in in minor league baseball 
And so very promising player. You're already two years into his five years before you have to make a rule five decision. So it feels like he's going to start off 2024. I would imagine maybe extended spring into, into single a, I'm not sure if he'll spend more time in Modesto or in Everett with the Mariners, but either way, a player where the typical development curve of this high school draftee is going to be three or four years. And the fact that he missed two years, in essence, recovering from injury doesn't really change that time frame. The only thing that you may not have to worry about is the physical development for Cole Phillips, right? Because he has had a chance. A lot of guys, as they're rehabbing Tommy John surgery, they really get a, a, a great chance to do lower body work, to really come back uh, noticeably thicker and, and, and stronger in the lower half. So he's done some of the physical development. He's probably had the, his biomechanics streamlined a little bit as he was relearning mechanics after the surgery. But it, the, the polish, the development, as far as the execution of the pitches, the sequencing, the pitchability, all of that stuff isn't quite there yet. So this is very much a future play for Seattle. The other player, Jackson Kowar, former top prospect from the Royals, has only been with the Braves for a couple of weeks because he was moved from the Royals to the Braves when the Braves sent Kyle Wright, who was recovering from a shoulder procedure and will miss all of 2024, sent him over on the non-tender deadline. So Atlanta loses a young prospect that wasn't going to help them at the major league level for conservatively three to four years, and they lose a former top pitching prospect, a starting pitching prospect that had been moved to relief and still had good stuff, but wasn't having great results. And in return, they get outfielder Jared Kalinick, they get uh, left-hand pitcher Marco Gonzalez and first baseman Evan White. You'll remember from the Jackson Churio show last week, and we're going to touch on Jackson Churio in the second segment today, you'll remember that Evan White was one of those then five players, now six, that signed a contract before debuting in MLB. Uh, now, he has not played in MLB since 2021. He won a gold glove at first base in 2020. Shorter period, 2021, has dealt with a lot of injuries. Last year had a groin issue and then I believe hip surgery and got in a grand total of two AAA games last year. He has money on his deal in both 24 and 25. And the expectation is that he will go to AAA Gwinnett for Atlanta. And I'm honestly not sure if Evan White will have a chance to play in Atlanta in 2024 or five, simply because he, in his time in the majors, and granted this was 20 and 21, but in his time in the majors, batting average below 200, the defense was really good, but the offense wasn't quite there. And if you look at what the Atlanta Braves do, everybody signed long-term. Matt Olson at first base is a very good defender, as well as a very good hitter. And at best, you're looking at DH at-bats available in 2025 once Marcelo Zuna's contract is up. So not sure if Evan White's going to pitch in Atlanta. Marco Gonzalez on the final year of his deal. Reports came out from Ken Rosenthal on Monday afternoon. Atlanta's looking to not even keep Marco Gonzalez. They're looking to probably flip him in another trade and or inevitably if they have to waive him and just eat the money that he's owed. I believe he's owed 12.25 million in 2024 versus keeping him on the roster and having him take up starts. He pitched a lot of innings, I think it's 2019 through 2022, didn't have a lot of time in 2023 because of injury, had a high ERA as well, 
ended up having forearm surgery to relieve compression and pressure on a nerve in his forearm, which is honestly a little bit terrifying to think about if you're banking on a guy coming back from a nerve surgery on his forearm. So I can understand Atlanta's hesitance to count on him being a member of the rotation, but this entire trade from Atlanta's part, giving up two players, including a former top prospect, giving up or taking on salaries was all to get Jared Klinik. A a first rounder by the Mets was moved in the Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz deal and struggled at the major league level in 21 and 22, but really broke out in 2023 from a production standpoint. Had a WRC plus of over 100, so contributed offensively. Has been pretty much neutral in the outfield. He's played center, he's played right, he's played left. He graded above average and right. He graded below average and left, and just about neutral and center. And I think a lot of that's related to the jumps, the reads, routes, reactions, and things like that. So he'll have a chance to play in Atlanta. Obviously, he's sliding into a fantastic lineup. And so the expectations for Kalinic, as far as offensive is con- offense is concerned, he doesn't have to carry the team. This team, this lineup will be perfectly fine whether he hits or not. So it's a lower pressure way to ease him into it. Atlanta has very good hitting coaches in Kevin Seitzer and hitting consultant Chipper Jones. And the thing to work with Kalinic is his strikeout rate was very high in 2023. One of the highest in baseball. Uh, part of the reason you've seen some of these deals by the Mariners, yes, it's a salary dump. They got rid of Eugenio Suarez. They got rid of, obviously, in this deal, they didn't uh, tender a contract to Teoscar Hernandez. They're saving, I want to say it's somewhere around 50-something million dollars between all of these guys, but they also cut out three of the 10 highest strikeout rates in baseball uh, in these different deals. So the question for Atlanta is going to be, he's a good fastball hitter. He really struggles with off-speed and isn't great with sliders, with curveballs. What can they do to get him more confident at the plate and making more consistent contact and dramatically cutting that swing and miss? Because that was, if more so than anything except for the home runs, that was the big thing behind uh, Atlanta's offensive surge last year was everybody cut their strikeout rate significantly, most notably Ronald Acuna Jr. So. Uh, Interested to see what he does. He doesn't hit arbitration until 2025, and he's going to be in Atlanta for, I want to say it's 2028 before he'll be a free agent. So Atlanta took on, gave up a prospect and Jackson Kowar, took on all these salaries simply to get four or five years of control of Jared Kalinick. And they've indicated that for the most part, they are done looking for outfield help now. Their outfield mix, Von Grissom, the former prospect, is going to move to the grass. Kalinick will be out there. Forrest Wall is a defense and pinch running backup. You've got Michael Harris. You've got Ronald Acuna Jr. In just a minute, uh, speaking of outfield and of Evan White, Jackson Churio had his press conference after signing his deal with the Brewers, the new largest contract for any player with zero service time. Really interesting comments from him and from the general manager. We'll talk about that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospect. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Jace Medical. If you're the type of person that likes to travel, maybe you're the type of person that likes to camp or just go out into places unknown and the path less traveled, the Jace case may just be the product for you. It is a collection of the most commonly needed and used antibiotics. You keep this in your, you throw this in your bag, you throw it in your camper, you throw it in your closet, whatever it might be. And should some sort of emergency arise, 
Maybe it's just as simple as you can't get to a medical facility. Maybe it's something where you're out in the middle of nowhere and you have no access to medical care. You can have life-saving antibiotics available 24-7 should you need them, covering most of the most common infections uh, and, and reasons to need antibiotics that are out there. So go to jacemedical.com. While you're there, use promo code Locked On for $20 off your first order. They can also do Jace Daily, which is where they give you extended supplies of your everyday maintenance medications. They have a giant list, everything from heart health, reproductive health, dermatology, hair care, everything you may possibly need. So jacemedical.com, promo code Locked On. Welcome back to Lock on MB Prospects, talking about the winter meeting, some of the goings-on that happened. And we were able to sit in on the press conference uh, with the Milwaukee Brewers and top prospect Jackson Churio. He signed an eight-year deal worth $82.5 million with two additional club options on it that will keep him tied to the organization if all of the options are exercised through his age 29 season. It is it takes over for Luis Robert for the largest contract ever signed by a player who has not yet debuted in MLB history. And it was a really interesting, uh, it was a really interesting press conference, right? Because GM Matt Arnold discussed not so much Jackson Churio, the baseball player, in his opening comments, as Jackson Churio, the person, right? He talked about, obviously, he exceeded every expectation we put on him, but it wasn't performance statistics that he was referring to. He didn't talk about his batting average or how many home runs he should hit. Uh, Matt Arnold talked about his maturity. Matt Arnold talked about the personal challenges that come with moving to a new country where you don't speak the language and being such a young player who's relocated, picked up his whole life and moved it. and. I found it really interesting that he said it's important to invest in people. And the point that Matt Arnold was making was that, yes, Jackson Churio, the outfielder for the Milwaukee Brewers, was getting this contract. But the investment from the organization, from ownership, from him, the investment was very much in Jackson Churio, the person. They believe who he is as a teammate, as a leader as a human being, and that is why they wanted to give him this contract now uh, and buy out some of those free agent years, the arbitration years, and potentially pave the way for him to be in the majors as soon as next year. And it was really interesting on some of those notes. He specifically, when asked, did not commit to Jackson Churio being on the opening day roster. And I'm paraphrasing here because I didn't write down the exact quote, but he said along the lines of Jackson would set his own timeline for promotion. Despite them having, despite this deal kicking in 2024, they are not going to automatically put Jackson Churio on the opening day roster and or uh, stick him in the opening lineup, in the opening day lineup. And it's something where if you think about it, Jackson Churio got one week, six games in AAA last year. He's 19, 20 years old. So he is a very talented player. We saw his numbers, especially after the tacky ball went away in the Southern League. We saw how smooth his actions were, offense, on defense. We saw how polished he was for such a young player. But there's obviously things that he can still work on. And I think the message they wanted to send was he's not guaranteed 
a starting spot. And to his credit, Jackson Churio said he understood that. They asked him his expectations about when he wanted to be in the major leagues. And this is all through a translator, so the, the quotes may not be exactly right. But in essence, he said, right now in the offseason, I'm working hard on being there on opening day. Uh, he did not say that he expected it. He was saying that he was working towards being there on opening day. He did say that signing this extension now versus waiting, going through arbitration and getting to the free agent market in six years from now, he did say that this was a, a blessing and a great opportunity to take care of the future and be able to just relax and play baseball. And something that we forget about a lot of times with these players is when you, like, until you get a free agent contract, you carry the risk from season to season, right? You are on league minimum salaries for three years. Then you go to arbitration for three years. But those are a series of one-year deals. Arbitration specifically, it is based almost solely off of what you did in the platform year, the year before you start arbitration. So if you have a good year or a bad year, that can color the next three years of earnings. And those, again, those are all one-year deals. There are there was, I think, 63 players a couple Fridays ago that were non-tendered in MLB. And I think all but one of them were arbitration-eligible players who were in line to get a bigger contract than the team maybe necessarily thought that they deserved. And so by signing this deal now, it gives him, like he mentioned, some security. He suffered an elbow injury as an amateur, and it affected the way that he played the game in 2021. They didn't allow him to throw home from center field. They required him to hit the cutoff guy, even if it meant the run would score, and things like that as they worked to rehab his arm and get it back to where it should be. And it's still not fantastic. And I did notice as well in there, in the media scrum afterwards, Arnold also didn't commit to Jackson Churio playing center field. Some of this is because if you look at, they've got Garrett Mitchell, they've got Sal Frelick. That, those are two of the now four outfielders under the age of 25 they have on that roster. They also have Blaine Perkins. They also have your, think Tyrone Taylor. They have Christian Yelich as well. And it feels like Jackson Churio is the type of player that can play center field, but you're probably going to be able to find a better pure defender than him. And so it it feels like he is in line to potentially get moved to a right or to a left field. Now, because of the arm strength, left field's probably more likely than right. He did acknowledge that there's a little bit of pressure now to live up to the contract, but he, he promises the money won't change him except for the better. Nobody ever says the money's going to change me in a bad way. So that's a little bit of what he's expected to say. He did it. He did say that the plan for the rest of the off season, and he was asked, what are you going to do from now till spring training was, working hard and specifically working on his body. And to me, the interpretation that I got from the way that he said that and what little bit of Spanish that I understand is if you know of a baseball Spanish program, send it my way. I, I would need to get better at Spanish, but specifically like baseball specific Spanish. So if you know a program like that, get it my way. But from what I understood, he was in essence saying that he wanted to get in better physical shape to better withstand the rigors of a full season. So he's expecting to make the roster on opening day. He's expecting to be a big part of that team, that Brewers team in 2024. And Arnold did not commit to making any sort of trade or moving any of the sub and outputters that they have. He said they feel really good about their depth. 
and reference the fact that they had two injuries in the outfield on the same day last year. And so they're content to stick with the guys that they have because two things like too much depth and his words tend to work that work itself out, right? That problem will take care of itself. Somebody will slump, somebody will get hurt. And all of a sudden you go from having too much depth to having just the right amount. Now I do expect there's still probably going to be calls go into the Brewers on an outfielder. It feels like Garrett Mitchell would be that guy. That is not reporting. That is just speculation based off of how everybody else integrated into the offense last year. But Garrett Mitchell, who was hurt, missed most of the season. I believe it was a shoulder issue. So curious to see what happens there. But either way, very excited for Jackson Churigo and his family. He signed that deal and hopefully we get to see him on opening day. In just a minute, let's talk about tonight's draft lottery. It's really interesting because there are some teams who need to be in that top six, and there are some teams who might not want to be in the top six. We'll talk about that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. Welcome back to Locked on MLB Prospects, final segment of the Tuesday show, talking about catching up on the actions from Monday, from Sunday and Monday at their winter meetings. And the draft lottery is today. By the time you listen to this, if you're an everydayer and listening first thing in the morning, it'll be in just a couple hours. You may have gotten to this by the time the draft lottery happens. Kyle, you probably got to this two months later, so it's fine. We are going to see a couple different teams have an opportunity to get the number one overall pick. It is not going to be every single team that did not make the postseason. The Washington Nationals, because they were in the lottery last season, they cannot pick any higher than 10th this year because they're a large market that pays into the revenue sharing. And so they cannot be in the lottery in back-to-back years. You'll remember they had the number two overall pick last year and they took Dylan Cruz, which by the way, tried to get some time with Dave Martinez to ask about when Dylan Cruz would come up. And he wasn't committal as far as having any sort of timeline on getting any of the youngsters up, but did acknowledge that One of the main goals of 2024 is to eventually get those guys to the majors and get them acclimated so this team can get back into competition. Uh, So in the lottery tonight, the the team that has the most at stake is not one of the teams with the the chances of getting the worst record, the Colorado Rockies, the Kansas City Royals, or the Oakland A's. Honestly, the team with the most at stake is the New York Mets. The New York Mets, as of now, profile to be just outside the top six when you go solely off of the odds. And the Mets, the Padres, and the Yankees, which Padres and Yankees are farther back into the middle of the teens, but all three of those teams, if they're not in the top six because of how much they spent over the competitive balance thresholds, their first-round pick gets moved back 10 spots. So if you look at picking number seven versus picking number 17, There's a couple significant differences for the New York Mets if they have to go back 10 spots. The first one and the most immediate result there is the bonus pool of for you to sign all of your draft picks is, I want to say, about $2 million less if you're picking 17th versus picking 7th. So that's obviously a big concern there. But then also, the quality of player that you get falls off significantly as you go through the first round. And to define this, this is the average war per draft position since 1970. We cut this off later in the towards the end of the 20 teens, 
because guys drafted after that haven't had a great opportunity to deliver war. But on average, since 1970, the number one overall pick in the draft in their career has averaged 20 wins above replacement. So 1-1 overall, on average, is worth about 20 war. Just moving down to second or third takes you from 20 to somewhere between 11 and 12. Okay, so the difference in number one overall and number two and number three ends up being over their career about eight war. And then as you continue to go, it gets worse and worse. It's 10.4 war for the number four overall pick. Number five is weird, right? Because you've had a couple notable busts at number five overall who never made the majors and never accumulated any war. This one's kind of a weird dip. Right, It goes down to just over seven war for the number five overall pick. And then for number six, it goes back up to 10 and change for wars. Again, number one, 20 war, two and three is around 11 to 12. And then four and six are 10-ish war. Five is about seven war. And then after that, number seven is still around 7.4. So it's close, it's close to what five is. Five and seven are essentially around the same thing. And then after that, eight and nine are both just under five war, 4.9, 4.8. Now, obviously, this is a macro look. There are plenty, you can find exceptions at every single draft position, right? The Mike Trout pick is surprisingly high in war because Mike Trout himself has been worth tons of war. And so he skewed the numbers. He's a giant outlier, right? You can find outliers at every one of these positions, but for the most part, which makes sense if you think about it, the higher you pick in the draft, the better the player is. And obviously, one of the reasons why the draft pool is important is the quality of player you get, depending on where you are in the lottery. The more money you get, the closer you are to the top, whether you choose to go under slot at 1-1 and save money to grab a second guy or whatever you choose to do. But then also, and it com- if you think about what happened to the Washington Nationals, how they can't pick in, in the top 10 because they were in the lottery last year, if you think about that, this year's draft isn't as good as previous years. Now, last year's draft was a generational draft, right? The college class in the 2023 draft was amazing. And that was a side effect of not of having a shortened draft in 2020 and so many prepsters going to college. This year's draft is good. It's not as good. And it feels like the prep class in particular, as of right now, early December, the prep class is significantly lacking. And on the college side, you really, your top three or four players, you've got J.J. Weatherholt, you've got Nick Kurtz, you've got Travis Bizarra, uh, you've got Jack Caglione, depending on how you feel about his potential as a two-way player. And if you're buying into that or not, Mark Etheridge and I are buying into that. Some other people are not. But once you get past that top three or four, it's not a great, there's a, Significant drop-off as you get to five. And then it looks like next year's class has the potential to be not the level of 2023. No, I don't think any draft in the next couple years will equal that. But it looks like it could be a better draft than this one. And especially with pitching and getting some more arms in the draft. And so some of these teams, some of the larger market teams, are in a situation where obviously the Mets want to be in the top six. Because if they're not in the top six, then they absolutely 
get kicked back to at least 16, if not farther. But some of the other larger market teams that can't be in the lottery in back-to-back years might prefer not being in the lottery this year. They might prefer getting number seven or something just after that so that they don't have to worry about being, if they are still bad, getting kicked back in the draft next year and uh, not having a chance to draft as high as they could and shooting their shot, if you will, on a lesser class, again, as it profiles in early December. We have plenty of time. There's always going to be prep risers. There's going to be guys that get hurt. We're going to see changes. But as of now, this class doesn't profile to be as good as, obviously, as last year's, but even to 22 or 21 or what next year's class looks like it might be. So really interesting to see what happens. We'll be in the room for the draft lottery. We'll bring you as uh, as much coverage of that as we can, talking about it. Uh, watch the YouTube channel. Watch the Twitter account at Locked On Farm. We'll be tweeting videos and highlights and things as we get them, quotes, all that good stuff. Uh, in the meantime, if you have questions for us for Monday Mailbag or something you want to see, you want to hear about from the winter meetings, show ideas, segment ideas, tons of ways to get them to us. I'm on Twitter at Crossy Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked On Farm. Email, subtext, Discord, it's all in the episode description. It's all in the show notes. Until tomorrow's show, remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor leaguer.